Welcome to Lamenting the Leafs. I'm Cam with Nick and Keith on deck after some big Leafs news today. Eight years, $92 million for William Nylander, a cap hit of $11.5 million, and we'll, we'll debate that number and talk about it plenty today, I'm sure. But uh, I, right off the top, just got to say how nice it is to see a Leaf star sign on for the max term. I am so pumped about that part of it. Willie Styles is a Leaf for life. Uh, Nick, your immediate reaction to the deal? Yeah, I think that part of the equation has kind of been glossed over a little bit, you know, especially considering the way things have gone with these uh, contract negotiations in the past. But I think my initial reaction to, you know, it's hard to say because we've had this deal kind of leaking through over the last couple of days. So it wasn't kind of like a sprung on you sort of thing to, to have that real like kind yeah. of visceral reaction to. But I, I think my initial reaction is, I, I think, best described as like tempered relief. Not that I w- like ever really had a whole lot of concern that the deal wasn't going to get done. Uh, always kind of felt like the, the Leafs were, just weren't going to be able to let go of this guy. And that's kind of how it played out. And you, you look at the, the terms of the contract and, you know, it, it feels like they kind of got taken to the woodshed a little bit here. But the the overarching feeling is that it's great to have a homegrown star locked in for the next eight years, uh, regardless of the money, I guess. Um, but it, it is definitely a bit higher than I think anyone would have expected a, a couple of months ago. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a bit higher than I thought it was going to be a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, <laughs> I, I think you guys nailed it. Like, the, the way to look at this is that a homegrown superstar is staying and, and a guy who's shown that he's kind of built for the market too. Yeah. But I mean, the eight year thing too, like I look at that a couple of different ways. Like I think if you look at Matthews and Marner and look at their AAV, it's probably not that bad. Like the last deal, it's the, the years that sucked. Like if Marner, if Matthews and Marner had signed eight year deals at the cap hits that they had, We'd still have them for a few more years at you know a lower hit, yeah. and then that that's this is where we would be getting that surplus value. Um, yeah. So it's nice that Nylander did it. Now he did it at twenty eight years old, which is the the downside, or twenty seven, or whatever he is today. So I mean, yeah, it's an eight year deal, but it's also meaning that he's probably going to be on the decline. But honestly, I can't imagine. I can't. We said the same thing about Tavares, right? Too. Exactly. Yeah, and he's just maybe now. You know, as much as everybody's been saying he's been declining for the last couple of years. Maybe and even now it's a stretch to say that he's really falling off. It's just kind of maybe you know incremental, but uh, yeah. Anyways, I, I I don't know. I don't think it's it's. There's no reason to be overly negative about this. He's he's here. You can kind of pencil in the amount now, or you know, and kind of start to build out the roster and what it's going to look like. And the whole thing about him being older and the cap hits and all that kind of stuff in the, in the future, we have no idea what the cap's going to look like. And I honestly can't bring myself to care about what the, if in eight, <laughs> if in eight years, this is an issue, we probably like either we want a cup and I don't give a shit or it's time to tear it all down anyway. So who cares? Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I think that the, like the elite question really kind of 
ties into everything every aspect of it right like is is he the elite player we've seen like over the last few seasons and especially this season and you know that's going to change the aging curve that's going to change the way the the deal ages everything right um and i think he is like i I mean i i think that obviously this is probably not a a sustainable run he's on but i i mean i think that he is every bit the elite player that that deserves this kind of a a commitment so i'm 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 really pumped about uh, about this i will say this he's got to play maybe not at this point like at this clip that he's on right now, but he can't go back to being like a 75 to 80 to 82 point guy. Um, he's now getting paid like a Panarin and a Pasternak and a Marner. That's 90 plus points for like a good four or five more years out of this contract. Yeah. And the one thing I will say is it does feel like kind of like a, a really sudden surge in, you know, his perceived value. But William Nylander is a guy who is, he's kind of, had a, a unique sort of development curve, right? Like the last couple of years in his age, you know, 25, 26, 27 seasons, he's continued to take, you know, very significant leaps in his, not just production, but his impact from shift to shift every night. And just the, the overall consistency that he's brought over the last couple of years. So I think, you know, there's reasons to believe that Nylander's style of play is going to age pretty well, but y- you nailed it, Keith. Like, the, the expectations are totally different now. And I said the same thing back when Mariner signed the deal that he's currently on, you know, it, and, and look how that kind of changed perception of him and the fan base. So yeah, the expectations are going to be a lot higher and it's going to be on Nylander to kind of live up to that. It's critical from like a, a team building point of view too, right? Like, you know, losing William Nylander critically alters the makeup of a Leafs team that, frankly, has already shown like it needs some work. So, yeah. I mean, y- you have to go back to the drawing board in a lot of ways in terms of your, you know, transition game, how you're moving the puck up the ice, your power play, you know, your attack in general. Like, losing him would have been a huge blow. This is not just like a complimentary player. He He is crucial to what they do and that's a lot of the the kind of the times where i'm kind of roll my eyes on twitter when you see people being like well we could use that cap space to get another player for eight million or nine million and then you know and then and then have another body come in after that but it's like who and and how like that those that doesn't you can't just like print like yes i understand sam reinhardt's out there and gensel's out there but those guys aren't a is i mean reinhardt's Yes, but like they're they're a most of the time not as good as Nylander when you start to think the name these guys in the seven to eight to nine million range. But also, there's no you're also bidding against every other team, and there's absolutely no guarantees that you're going to get one of those guys in free agents. And from a trade perspective, at least aren't necessarily flush with assets, so it's a lot harder to replace those guys than people just say like, oh, let's reuse that cap space elsewhere. Well, kind of in that vein, Keith, like it, it might feel like the Leafs have sort of painted themselves into a corner when you see you know how this deal ultimately played out but Elliot Friedman had reported uh, that during the summertime when you know Nylander's camp and the Leafs were rather far apart on contract negotiations the Leafs did investigate the trade market they did look around to see if there was you know a high-end defenseman available that they could have in exchange for Nylander and ultimately the conclusion they came to was that there was no available player out there that would make it worth losing William Nylander and and having to make up that surplus value that that he brings to the team. Now, surplus value might be a stretch uh, moving forward with his current Mm -hmm. cap hit. And I think that's where some of the maybe tempered part of my relief 
to the to the contract came in. Uh, you know, it's don't get me wrong. I'm overjoyed to have William Nylander locked in for the next several years and, and continue to be a crucial part of this team. But I, I don't think you can blame any fan for just kind of having a, a little bit of a thorn in their side about how these contracts continue or continue to shake out for the Leafs with these top stairs. Like they aren't really they're getting, not winning them. <laughs> no, the, the, there was no concessions made by Nylander's side at all. And I think, you know, as much as his level of play has increased and sure he he's, you know, deserving of this raise, I, I do think it kind of sticks in the craw of some fans that like we've continuously been shown that, you know, aside from Morgan Riley, bless his heart, it, it, it's hard to argue that, you know, the team or the logo or the city or the fan base or whatever matters more to these guys than an extra five or $600,000 a year. Right. So I, I get where some fans are coming from and just kind of, you know, feeling almost betrayed isn't the right word, but right. just that maybe, you know, the, the players on the team that they're cheering for don't always have, you know, their intentions in the best places, but you can't blame these guys for looking out for themselves and, and you know, trying to maximize their career earnings either. And, and frankly, 11.5 million for William Nylander shouldn't be the concern. The concern should be giving out contracts to guys like Ryan Reeves or signing David yeah. camp for, for two and a half million dollars over four years. So, you know, it, it's really going to come down to how the Leafs kind of navigate this moving forward and whether Nylander is able to live up to the the contract that he fought so hard to get. The money with Willie, it's like this is as much about, you know, like obviously, yes, money's important. Money is, you know, a big part of this, but like it's about status too, right? Like, yeah. and as much as it is about like, you know, I think a lot of the, the consternation too comes from looking around the league and, and obviously, you know, you look at the pay structures and you look at what you expected to pay Nylander back in the summer and, and yeah, I, I can see why, you know, you're, and I mean, for me, I'm, I'm more upset with the team than anything for letting it get to this point that, you know, he's, you're, you're signing him in the middle of a career season and you're kind of putting yourselves over the barrel right mm-hmm. so like for, for Nylander you know you're, you're part of this internal pay structure you've got you know the centerpiece of your team who's already gotten a deal done and you know you got the other star winger who you know is, is coming up and you just know they're going to end up giving him like a bump that's closer to Matthews than it is to Nylander like that that's how how it's it's gone so far so like in that situation for the Leafs it's like you, you pay up or you lose the player and I mean I'm I'm super happy that they didn't lose the player um the leverage was just all in in favor of the Nylander camp basically from you know especially once the season got rolling yeah and I'm glad you brought that up Cam for a couple of reasons um you know one I'll start with, you know, kind of the the idea that, you know, maybe the Leafs missed the boat by not getting this done in the offseason. But, you know, by all accounts from the insiders and, you know, everyone who's kind of plugged into what's going on with the Leafs and around the league, is that this was kind of always the Nylander number. And, and that's why the two sides were so far apart in the summertime. And it, to say that they, you know, could have saved money, maybe it was half a million 750 grand something like that at most but it seems like it really came down to 
you know, William Nylander believing in himself, betting on himself and going out there and proving that he's one of the best players in the league, at least this season. And it just so happened to be very fortunate timing for for him. Um, In terms of the status thing, Keith mentioned it with Nylander being sort of the the perfect player for this market, just because he doesn't really seem to be phased by too much. Like he's faced as much media scrutiny as pretty much any player I can remember in this market. And it's just never really seemed to to knock him off stride or anything like that. And he also strikes me as the kind of guy who's, he's just continued to grow confidence wise over the last couple of years. And I almost feel like this deal is sort of like affirmation for a guy like Nylander that, you know, you are one of the best players in the league. You are being paid like one of the best players in the league. Everyone knows that you're one of the best players in the league now. And I don't think that that's going to be some kind of negative pressure for a guy like Nylander. I think that's just, it's just going to drive him towards success even more and motivate him even further to kind of continue this level of play and continue to prove that he's one of the best players in the world. I I do wonder, because now we, if we kind of move and look at the rest of the, the roster and tree living and what he had said, you know, in the first press conference about wanting to move away from the core four being the kind of dominant, you know, narrative or whatever, which is hard not to, if you know, they make that much money, but like the, you know, he was sick of the core four talk. Well, at this point, do we start to see him maybe start to commit to some of these guys lower in the lineup? Like if, if they're, they want it to feel like a more, you know, less turnover and more, more, uh, you know, chemistry or whatever in in the bottom six and on the back end, like, is he happy with a Noah Gregor to give him an extension? Is he happy with a Benoit, like Domi, Bertuzzi? Like, I wonder if he starts to kind of like firm up some of these guys on the periphery for multi-year deals now that this is off the table. Yeah, I think that's definitely a, a more likely possibility now. Obviously, William Nylander was the the priority, and yeah, you yeah. couldn't really couldn't really do much else until you had that figured out and you had that chunk of cap space kind of squared away, right? So we'll see. I think in the coming weeks and months. You know, some of these guys start to get taken care of as well. Uh, there's some rumors percolating out there about some of these guys. Uh, nothing concrete by any means. But one thing that's been apparent in the last couple of days, you know, after the Kyle Dubas and Lou Lamorello regimes where we never really heard much of anything coming out of the Leafs front office, there, there was never really any kind of leak or substantial rumors to go on for the most part. Uh the Nylander negotiation was not quiet, or the lead-up to the deal being made official was definitely not quiet. It seems like, um, I, I don't know if it's by design, whether the Leafs' current regime is more willing to leak some of this stuff out there, or if maybe there's just someone in the front office who now feels more at liberty to, to share some of that stuff. But it, it definitely seems like... The, you know the the rumor mill is going to be percolating a little bit more with the Leafs moving forward, and that, that's like not even leading up to it. Like when Kiprios and everybody started saying, like, "Oh, it's getting close, and it's going to be in the next like before the All Star game." But even just all along, it's been like not there has not been any kind of like, "Oh, what if he walks? What if this?" Like that that's such a juicy narrative for talk radio to be constantly you know talking about that it was always like yeah it's gonna happen like it's it's a calm negotiate like that came from somewhere yeah and i i don't you know we didn't see that in the past and and like that's that i found that strange all throughout like nothing would make darren drag or hornier <laughs> than just 
fear fear mongering for the last five months about Nylander potentially leaving. So yeah, I, I found that strange. So something something has changed. It, it kind of just on a similar note, not to go back to carrying water for Kyle Dubas because I think we've done enough of that over the years on this <laughs> pod. Um, but you know, if, on the flip side, it seems like there's a lot of media members sort of carrying the water for a true living and the Leafs on this Nylander deal. Can you imagine, oh. you know, what the, the narrative would be had this been Kyle Dubas signing this deal rather than Brad true living. So yeah. I think maybe it, it, it's fair to kind of look back and say, maybe it wasn't entirely Dubas at fault for, for the way that these contracts went, or uh, you could also look at it another way and say that he sort of set the table set for, the f- yeah. yeah, for this, and, and that this is how the team is kind of forced to operate now that he's no longer in the picture. But yeah, I just thought it was kind of interesting. I had the exact same thought when Kiprios calmly said that he heard it was going to be eleven two five, and kind of was just like, "Yeah, that's what he's uh, that's what he's worth now." And I was like, "What? Like that is <laughs> yeah." You're you're completely right. If that was Dubis. There would be, he'd be, there just, it would just be constant. I mean, people are saying it's too much, but like the level of kind of vitriol Questioning would, would, would be, be much higher. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like looking at, at the numbers a little bit, um, like, like, yes, the, the 11 five, like there's some sticker shock there, but like, I, th- I think that people are really underestimating the, the impact of the cap in the next few mm-hmm. years and the impact of like the fact that they're not going to have to do this again in four or five years when the cap is booming, right? Yeah. Like, they're going to have this locked in for, I, I think a, a few really cheap years towards the end of it. I think that the cap's probably going to, you know, top a hundred mil at, at some point, maybe in the second half of this deal. And then, you know, you're looking at like a guy who's making around 11% of the cap instead of, you know, 13% and kind of changes the the dynamics of it a little bit. So Yeah, it's kind of going to be mean, a matter of how long Nylander can sustain this level of play, that's right? That's it. And does like the the rest of the market kind of continue to to, you know, float all the other names around him to the point where like this looks like a sweetheart deal in in a few years and I I think that's that's still probably on the table. Like you I know, think that's I, definitely a possibility. Yeah. yeah, I'm not exactly expecting, you know, this season every year going forward, but uh, I mean I, I think he's going to be productive enough in the front half and then the cap gets high enough towards the back end like it, you know, you pay for your elite talent and you find the savings elsewhere yeah. and uh, I'm happy that they they did that. Which is the exact same thing that's been happening for the last five years of his deal now like the 6.9 deal right like yeah. it seemed yeah. high at first and then he obviously grew in to be a lot like he's one of the few players on the Leafs that you can we have been able to tangibly say or, or like confidently say that there is you know surplus value out of the contract for the last few years and no one thought that at first at least I mean the general consensus wasn't was that he got overpaid. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure like a lot of people are going to listen to this justification I'm about to make or hypothesize on and roll their eyes. But like, there's no denying that the Nylander contract is going to look different if Vancouver goes out and signs Elias Pettersson for you know, eight years and ten and a half or eleven million himself. Or you know, maybe he winds up getting even more than Nylander. Like we, we could be. Seeing the beginnings, I know this sounds like wishful thinking because it's just taking me back to the same talking points we had a few years ago before the pandemic hit. But you know, we could be starting to see a bit of uh, changing of the landscape in terms of some of these higher salaries and the stars in the league really 
getting that top value? Like, what's a guy like Sam Reinhart going to get as an unrestricted free agent this year with the year that he's putting up? So, you know, some of those guys come in in double digits and stuff like that. It, it starts to kind of tip the scales back to, you know, not being such an outlandish price for Nylander. The part that's still kind of like irks me a bit is, you know, and again, trying not to be negative about this deal, but the fact that the lease had the ability to give him the eighth year, which you would think would help in this, uh, but, you know, and giving him a full note movement clause and all the bonus structure and stuff. So that's, that's one thing, man, he didn't, he didn't lose on anything. Like he's getting paid what somebody would have to pay close to like 13 and a half or something or 13 plus on a seven year deal. It sounds crazy, but it, like just imagine fast forward to July 1st and William Nylander's coming off uh, what's he on pace for right now? Like 116, 117 points. So, you know, say it's July 1 and William Nylander's walking into unrestricted free agency coming off of close to a 120 point season. You know, you never know. Some of those teams out there, especially some of the younger rebuilding teams that have a lot of cap space and maybe feel like they're one star player away from, you know, kind of insulating their own young core. Probably a bit far-fetched to think that he would have gotten that much, but I don't think it's... Yeah, what do you think Johnny Goodrow thought? Yeah, but we were... The money wasn't there. Still in the midst of, like, the flat cap era, you know, when that's happening too, right? So we're about to see, like... I think it's going to take some recalibration from hockey fans in general just to, you know, kind of get back to an environment where the salary cap is growing just because yeah, dude it's been like five it's years been fucking forever yeah I, I just don't think it's clicking maybe how much this is going to change things and like that's I, a, a big part of you know Nylander pushing for that number right like he sees where this is trending in terms of where the salary cap is going to go for the rest of the league like why would he lock himself in for 9.5 when the salary cap is projected to be close to a hundred million dollars in the next couple of years. Right. So it, you, you have to look at it from a lot of different angles and yeah, I mean, m- maybe there's no way to kind of explain this away to some fans. And, and I definitely understand the concerns and, and just kind of being a little frustrated that the number got this high. But I, I think at the end of the day, the, the Leafs managed to keep, I think Brad Living said it best. The people are going to debate the number and Mm -hmm. go back and forth on it. But anytime that you sign a player of William Nylander's caliber and ensure that you have him locked in for the foreseeable future, it's a good day. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like the thing I keep coming back to is, is the term, right? Same, same thing. Like it's eight years, like, you know, there's another universe here where, uh, like he says, let's do a three-year deal and let's you know revisit the the long-term thing and you know yeah and then the, he's once we have a better idea of the financial <laughs> landscape exactly and then it's you know yeah I'll, I'll take I'll take uh, you know a, a little bit of a haircut for the eighth year uh, and now it's still going to start with a thirteen right like it's well, well just think of how different people would have felt about the Matthews contract like thirteen point two five is an enormous cap hit. But the fact that it was for only four more years was, I, I think, was what really kind of yeah. took some of the the shine off of the fact that the Leafs locked up one of the greatest goal scorers of all time for another, you know, like I said, four years. Had that been eight years, I, I think people would have been doing cartwheels over it. Whereas mm-hmm. th- this one kind of came with a bit of, you know, reserved sort of 
joy i guess yeah i I mean the thing that like i think that the key thing to keep in mind is that like the max salary is going to be probably over 20 million before this nylander deal is up so like that that just really informs everything i think and and you got to go from there um before we wrap up this discussion just kind of a look at um you know what it means uh, money wise at least for next year you're going to have uh, four forwards who are all making you know in the neighborhood of uh, 11 million or you know a fair bit more than that in the, the case of austin matthews both matthews and nylanders extensions kick in next season but I, I mean not a lot of other money committed um not a ton anyway it's still a fair bit of flexibility i think they're basically going to be in the same spot that they were this past off season like they're going to have similar holes to fill. They're going to have around the same amount of money to fill those spots. The situation is not nearly as dire as some would like to make it out to be, especially when you consider the fact that it's really only going to be super tight for one more year. Like we don't know what's going to take place with Tavares. I mean, I find it really hard to imagine him wanting to play anywhere else at this stage of his career. What that means for, his next cap hit, next contract remains to be seen. But there's no goddamn way that John Tavares is making $11 million after next season. So that's going to, that in itself is going to open up, you know, some more flexibility for the Leafs. You combine that with the, the salary cap being expected to, con- to continue to rise. And, you know, the, the Leafs are still in really good shape here. It's just a matter of, like I said before, being smart and spending that money wisely and, you know, really managing the risk of, you know, signing players like John Klingberg or an aging Ryan Reeves. Yeah. But more, it, more Gregors and Benoit's yeah. and fewer, uh, yeah, Klingberg. Yeah, that's, that's and, just it. You can't, you just can't, like, if you would, I don't know, like, if you think of the wasted cap that Tree Living threw around this year with, with Reeves and Klingberg and even Camp. To, like, to his credit, it was mostly short-term deals that don't yep. really hamstring them into the future. The camp one might hurt a little bit, but. Yeah, like it already does. <laughs> I, yeah. But like, yeah, you can't, you just can't be paying a fourth line center that much. But yeah, I mean, even with that though, like that's there, there's, and you got Brody coming off too, right? I don't like, I, I don't know. Like there's, there's, there's room to upgrade the back end, and there's some pretty attractive defensemen coming onto the market next year in that kind of like, you know, sub Noah Hannafin tier, yeah, but better than you know, what, maybe what Brody is now at this point in his career. So it's, it's much like it has been in the entirety of since the, the big players signed their contracts, the cap situation is not as bad as conventional talk says. And at long last, you know, it finally is only going to be super tight for one more year with Tavares on the books. Of course, there's going to be other extensions that have to come into place to, we don't know what Matthew Nyes is going to grow into and what he's going to be worth Lilligren. on his next deal. Lilligren is, is definitely due for a raise. Mitch Mariner, you know, should they choose to re-sign him again? He's not going to be coming in anywhere under Nylander's new deal, I don't imagine. But the, the, the point is, the Leafs aren't nearly as jammed up as some people think. The thing that, you know... I mean, we've talked about this before and Nick, you made this point one time, but now with next year being the tightest crunch, probably um, more definitely of the foreseeable future, that extra year of Joe wall at 700 grand is oh, man. massive, massive. massive. If he was up this year, that 
they <laughs> things would get a lot more dicey. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm going to be looking for some uh, value performances next season for sure. Uh, so um, just to talk about kind of the recent play a little bit, Leafs uh, were just getting started on the California trip when we last recorded. Uh, they swept that all three games. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that they've done that a bit in recent years, but it still feels very foreign to sweep the California trip. You must have missed the graphic that they threw up during, I forget which game of the trip that they threw it up, but over the last like six years, the Leafs have either gone and got swept in California or they've swept. It, it, they've either won every game or lost every game on that road trip over the last five or six years. So uh, f- thankfully it, it went the, the winning way this time around, but I was super impressed with the overall team play in each of those games. You know, say what you will about the Sharks and Ducks, obviously not very good teams or, you know, difficult opponents at this stage. But the way that they came out and completely handled the Los Angeles Kings in that first game of the trip and just the way they were able to carry that play over into those next two games, we've seen them play down to to bad opponents more times than I would like to count <laughs> in recent years. That didn't happen against San Jose and Anaheim at all. They completely mopped the floor with both of those teams. And it was really on the back of impressive defensive play and Martin Jones just being there to to make the saves when he was called upon. I think the, the Leafs did a really good job of making life easy on him, especially with him starting both games of a back to back on the road that's a that's a tall ask for anyone never mind a journeyman 34 year old netminder but yeah just a a really quality showing from basically the entire team i thought you know everyone was good in each of those three games in my opinion so Hopefully they can carry that forward into the homestand here. Uh, I, I think they've got one more road game before they're back on a, a real homestand here. But uh, yeah, being able to carry that momentum back to Toronto and just generate some momentum and string some wins together and start banking points against teams that they really need to bank points against. Uh, definitely an encouraging start in California. Second star of the week for Martin Jones, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there was a, a comment I made to you guys in our group chat, like probably a couple of months ago at this point, where, you know, th- through the first couple of months of the season with the Leafs, it just didn't feel like they had that execution. You know, they, they just they weren't clicking through the neutral zone the breakout was a bit of a mess it just it, i was worried that you know they were they, they, they'd lost something they've lost an edge and that feeling has faded quite a bit in the last uh you know month or two and especially like you know that that, that those were some good performances like you said not great teams man but, they gave uh, up like one even strength goal in their last four games but you know for a team that's yeah. been criticized heavily for their defensive play and as well as their goaltending at points this season yeah that, that's a that's a big turnaround and hopefully just a, a sign of things to come that, that that the la game had the air the whole trip i guess but again competition kind of taken into consideration here but like it had a feeling of remember when they went out to edmonton in the bubble year and just kind of handled business and some of the yeah. more kind of decisive wins and it, it had that feel to it where it was just like that's the standard now like that's that's the defensive kind of uh you know attention to detail they've shown that they can do it now so with this new look kind of team and because again the, the years past i think the leafs defensive play was a bit underrated and it seemed like people were hesitant to give them credit for how good they were defensively 
we didn't see that for the first 30 whatever games of the year and it kind of looked like that on the last road trip so i think now looking at it it's it's kind of be hard to kind of see them not play to that standard and on the flip side like talking about the the competition of those teams it's also been the biggest knock on them this year is not being able to take care of the teams that they should yeah. take care of. So we can't kind of have it both ways. Like if, if they're going to complain that they can't dust off an Ottawa or Columbus, then they've, you know, when they do it, we got to, got to acknowledge that. So yeah, as good of a road trip as you can get. And especially like you said, at five on five, just not really allowing much, even though, uh, you know, the teams may not have had the most offensive firepower. Well, I think that's kind of provided them with a bit of a blueprint moving forward, right? Like you look at this lineup, they certainly aren't short on offensive talent. So you would think that if they're just able to kind of, to, to steal your term, Keith, like handle their business defensively, just kind of manage their risk with the puck on their stick and things like that, the offensive chances are going to come just because of how talented they are and the way that they're able to generate off the cycle, you know, take advantage of rush opportunities. So uh, basically what I'm saying is I don't think that this is a team that really needs to sell out and and push for offense at their maximum capacity a hundred percent of the time. You know, we've seen them be able to turn it on late in games when they're trailing and things like that. But I, I think the real blueprint for this team to have continued success is just, Worry about taking care of their defensive responsibilities. Try to make life easy on their goaltender. And then just take advantage of the offensive opportunities that come from that. So along with uh, Martin Jones as second star of the week, you've got uh, Austin Matthews named to the all-star team and presumably William Nylander shortly to follow. Um, all-star being in Toronto this year. I'm hammering out votes for Morgan Riley too. Shamelessly admitting of it. Course. I, I want Mo at the all-star game. I just think he's had a, a fantastic season that's kind of flown under the radar a little bit. And you know, how do you not love Mo, right? Like it, just, yeah, just the absolute dude. Yeah. He deserves it too. I just, I was kind of wondering if maybe Nylander would get the automatic nod, you know, he's just been so good, but I mean, hard to argue with uh, 30 goals by like new year's, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think given the fact that it's in Toronto and they've got the celebrity captains coming in and you just have to assume that the league wants Austin Matthews front and center with Justin Bieber through the course of this all-star festivity but yeah i mean i think nylander's a, as much of an automatic lock a, as anyone is uh, you know just kind of reading the tea leaves on twitter seeing an awful lot of people uh, throwing out tweets and retweets uh, to get willie back to, or to the all-star game for the first time and uh, yeah just he's more than deserving of the honor this season no question so obviously jones has been very good um you got the Sharks up again on Tuesday. Yeah, man, where would we be without Martin Jones? <laughs> oh, yeah. Salute. I mean, and I shit all over that signing. <laughs> I mean, I, I said last week, you don't know what you get from him, like, you know, start to start. But uh, he has been very solid. So, I mean, especially out in California, obviously. But he's just given them some some really good work. So, yeah, it's been uh, much needed. He's become like a very crucial part of this team. And I don't think it's just temporary either like i don't see a, a road back for samsonov anytime soon wall's still going to be on the shelf for a while and even when wall comes back you know i, I think jones is going to be relied upon to to carry a good portion of the workload uh, for the rest of the season as well and you know maybe even into the playoffs you don't know how this is going to shake out but i, I just think jones deserves a, a ton of credit for what he's done so far this season and it's a good kind of time to maybe look at 
you know, since we kind of shit on the, the Klingberg and the Reeves and the camp signings is that Trey Living did do some good work around the edges that have all played huge parts this year. That like, little lot, poison pill that he put in the Jones. That, and even just getting like Lagasin and Benoit who are guys who have NHL experience and having them kind of come in and you know, there's going to be injuries and you know, that, that, that those, those two with Jones have played huge roles in keeping the team afloat, you know, through some pretty bad injury stretches and you know Benoit's uh, been solid as fuck Benoit's I'm ready to resign today like I, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm getting close to kind of being okay if he's in the playoff like starting lineup but which is still probably too soon to say but man like him and McCabe look really good together and that's a pretty good like playoff pair if they're if the Leafs are able to bring in a, another defenseman like we've been talking about that kind of pushes everyone down and you can run Benoit and McCabe in like kind of pseudo third pair minutes, maybe, you know, sort of like a tweener second pair sort of deployment. Like I think you're in pretty good shape there. Like Benoit has been a revelation. Gio's coming in as your seven, which makes me feel a lot more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Notably, Benoit's a RFA too. He, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, that that's and great. And Gregor. So yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Those were those were two real nice. I, I still can't understand why Anaheim let go of Benoit. He's what, like a 24, 25 year old restricted free agent defenseman, you know, especially they just shipped one out while we're recording this show as well. So I think they, they'd probably like a do over on that one. So uh, Sharks Tuesday, Isles Thursday, Avs Saturday, and then the Red Wings on Sunday. So you got the back-to-back. I feel like maybe we see Dennis Hill to be on Sunday, but I, I, I would kind of expect Martin Jones to get all three uh, up until that point. And then, you know, you give Hill to be maybe the Red Wings on Sunday. But uh, Nick, what are, you, what are you kind of expecting to, to see from, uh, from Hill to be? Not, not even necessarily like in terms of, you know, on the ice, you know, you, you can never know, but just how do you think he'll be used going forward? I, I feel like you just ride the hot hand, right? Yeah, well, that's definitely what they're doing. Um, I, I expected him to start the second half of the back-to-back out west um, when, mm. when they were playing Anaheim uh, on the second night there. The, kind of a obviously an inferior opponent, second half of a back-to-back on the road. Seemed like everything was lining up there. But, you know, I didn't entirely disagree with Sheldon Keefe's justification for going with Jones again. And obviously it... it it worked out. Um, but, you know, the team was kind of going through a little bit of a, a scuffle. Th- things weren't exactly clicking their way. And, you know, they put together one of their best performances of the season against the Kings uh, on Tuesday night. And the coach just wanted to keep that momentum rolling, keep kind of stacking together some wins, banking points. And, and yeah, if he felt Jones was their best chance at that, then so be it. And again, it obviously worked out. Jones played three really, really strong games uh, on the California trip. Um, But I I think, you know, it's kind of an untenable situation to keep running him out there and expecting him to be able to handle, you know, multiple back-to-backs over this stretch, right? Like, the other thing is they need Jones to be kind of clipping along at 100% right now. So I don't think they want to burn him out. I don't think they want to risk him getting hurt. I'd be really surprised if after three more starts this week that Hildeby isn't between the pipes against Detroit on Sunday night. And at this point, like, just play him. It's it's not the end of the world if he goes out and has a rough game. Like, no one's expecting anything out of Dennis Hildeby at this stage, right? Like, he wasn't supposed to be here. 
I don't think that the team is going to make some grand determination on his ultimate potential based on his first career start in kind of an emergency situation or a couple of games over a stretch of time where, you know, he's up because there's two other goaltenders that were ahead of him who are no longer on the roster, you know, one because of injury and one because he just couldn't stop a beach ball. So I think, you know, maybe even more than what it means for Hildeby's ultimate progression or whatever, the team has to be focused on taking care of Martin Jones right now. And that's the job of the backup goaltender, no matter who it is, um, is just to be able to kind of spell your starter and give your team a a chance to win. And I, I think, you know, Hildeby is definitely capable of that, um, but we won't know for sure until we get to see him in the NHL. Yeah, I think I think for the you just not going to overthink this one. Like you're not going to run Martin Jones in two back to backs in a small period of time. Like he's going to get in on Sunday, and there's another one coming up the following week, I think. So yeah, and yeah. If that, look, if that means that you know Hildeby gets in two to three games, it's not going to. In like so he doesn't play well, he. You know, he plays two to three games and he has an 895 save percentage or something, which is still a hell of a lot better than Samsonov at one. And <laughs> yeah. two, it's not going to derail the guy's like development. I, I can, I would imagine that being a part of the NHL roster right now and being with NHL coaches and NHL practices, even if he doesn't play, which he's clearly going to, it's like, that's all good. Like, like that's not yeah. a bad thing to have him up with the big club. Like, so I, I never really understood the whole thing about it. Like we weren't saying he's the number one goalie come up and save the season. It was come up and back up a veteran NHL goaltender who's playing well and get in there on the back to backs. Like I don't, I, I don't blame Keith for doing it. I thought he would go to Hill to be for on the back to back, but um, you know, I could understand the reasoning and it's one of those things that could have gone either way. And like, if it would have went bad, he, he like he took a pretty big risk doing that. Um, yeah. But yeah. I mean, he's, he, he, there's no way he runs him. Like, well, like how old is Jones? He's, like 30, 34, 34, I, I don't know, 34. You're not going to run a guy in his mid thirties in two back to backs in a short period of time when he's your only guy, the only guy that you're confident in. Like if he goes down and tweaks something from being overworked, that's, it's not going to be good. So yeah, more than likely see him against the wings. He actually turns 34 on Wednesday. There you go. There you go. And it, it's not like this is a, a case of Hildeby. Like I mentioned this uh, on last week's show with Cam, it's sort of like a perfect storm of things, right? Like, yeah, Hildeby probably doesn't make it to the NHL roster this year without an injury or, or a performance like Samsonov's, but it's not as if this is entirely undeserved for him either. Like, he's been really good in Sweden over the mm. last couple of seasons. He's had a stellar start to his career with the Marlies. So this isn't just kind of like a, a token call-up or just because he was – the only guy that they had available. Like they could have called up Keith Petrozelli to sit on the bench if they wanted to, but mm-hmm. he's not very good. Dennis Hildeby <laughs> has been pretty good. So Well, even if you look at when they called up when they called up Wall a couple of years ago, he didn't necessarily have great numbers at the time. Like Hildeby's kind of doing better. Now I know that he faced some injury issues and all that kind of stuff and had a hard time in his first year pro, but like Wool's big year came after a little stint in the NHL. So it's, it's, I don't know. I think it was over, you know, overkill and kind of too much made about it. I think, like I said, he's probably going to play three or four games in the NHL. And I would imagine it's going to be better than Samson. Yeah. Well, it can't be much worse than Samson. Basically what we're saying here is that, you know, two, three, four games is not going to 
make or break Dennis Hill to be one way or the other career. Yeah. yeah it, it, it's going to be kind of mostly insignificant in the grand scheme of things for his entire career. The, the main focus right now has to be taking care of the guy that has become the de, uh, the de facto starter in Martin Jones. So mm-hmm. that, that's where the, the priority should lie in terms of how they're going to handle the goaltending moving forward here. Nick, the Leafs got a deal done, an entry-level contract for Noah Chadwick just before the holidays. He's had a pretty good start in the uh, WHL, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, huge years. Like Anytime that a guy is drafted in the sixth round, and earns an entry-level contract just a, a few short months later. Uh, I think that says a lot about how the team feels about the players' progression and how they're developing, how they're performing. Chadwick has definitely had a, a breakout year with Lethbridge so far in the WHL. He's already surpassed last season's point total by a, a significant margin in far fewer games than it took him to get there last season. I mean, like the traits are there, right? To be a, a, a really interesting prospect and a guy who I think is going to move up the the rankings, so to speak, uh, in pretty short order here. Like you're talking about a, a guy who's already six foot four at the age of eighteen, weighing close to two hundred pounds. If he's not more than two hundred pounds now, and the, the way that he moves around the ice, the offensive vision from the back end. There's a lot to like there with this player, and that's not to say that he's a surefire NHLer or that he's going to be suiting up for the Leafs anytime soon. But you know, any guy that you take in the later rounds of the draft is going to be a long-term project, and I just think that the Leafs have to be really, really excited about the early returns on that pick so far. Yeah, that's uh, that's exciting stuff. I I'm, liked the pick at the time, and uh, yeah, you see those numbers: thirty-one points in what, thirty-four, thirty-five games, or something like that. I think. Yeah, he just he just had a four-assist game the other night. Uh, it, like he's manning the point on the power play there, just playing big minutes and just kind of doing it all for Lethbridge. I've, I've only managed to catch a couple of his like mostly full games this season but between that and some of the clips that i've seen of what he's doing out there uh definitely some reasons to be excited about the guy yeah that's that's good news good to hear uh you guys want to remember a leaf oh yeah Jeez, Keith, you sound more that excited. Was very enthusiastic from both of you. Fuck, it's late, guys. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> you guys remember Brad Boys? Yeah, oh, just yeah. An, uh, another Leaf prospect who was traded away too soon went on to be a very productive player with someone else, and uh, the Leafs got basically fuck all for him. What what did the Leafs get for Brad Boys? Oh, and Nolan, baby. Okay, never mind. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was all right. Oh, no, you you were right. Uh, I, I guess, but... It was Owen Nolan. <laughs> hindsight's twenty twenty, And I mean, we got Brad Boys back later on. That's right. Uh, it was... Uh, I'm just trying to remember off the top here. I know Alan McCauley was in the deal as well. I'll, I'll have it here in a second. But uh, yeah, and he, and he did come back. He was in the, um, he was in the tank year, right? Like the, the tank for Matthews year? Boys, uh, it might have been the year before that, or was it the the tank? For he, he was, he was. No, he played. He played with Babcock, so that was the, yeah the tank. The tank year with like David Booth, Brad Boys, Mike Santarelli. Like I don't know if those were all the same year. But stop like, spoiling future. Remember, least you asked. <laughs> no, I think, I think you got. I think you're too late. Like I think those guys were before him. But so he was in the Matthews tank year because specifically I went and I pulled up uh, the uh, the box score from William Nylander's first Mm. NHL game Uh, and uh, Brad boys part of that lineup. Um, It was it was Macaulay boys and a first for 
Nolan back at the 2003 trade deadline. Remember it like yesterday. When Oof. the salary cap didn't exist and no one Man. cared about who made what. And you could go out and get Brian Leach and Glenn Wesley and Owen Nolan and whoever the fuck else. And it didn't matter. You just <laughs> got to be happy about your team having good players. What a world. Yeah. <laughs> Man, some of the names on this 2015-2016 lease team. <laughs> Gonna stop you right there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, before we go, um, PWHL Toronto got their first win Friday. Big duds. Uh, first goals as well after getting shut out in the opener. Our girl Emma Malte with the winner. Yeah, she had the winner, Natalie Spooner, first goal in franchise history. And uh, the, the, the winner by Malte, uh, shorthanded. And I love this jailbreak shorty rule. This is yeah, a, a fantastic. Uh, I don't innovation. know if I like it to be honest with you. What? Too much of a purist, Nick. I, I definitely definitely fall on the the purist side. Like I, I won't debate that. Um, what about the three, two, one points? Absolutely awesome. Yeah, the NHL that's a no, that. yeah. <laughs> yeah. no brainer. Slam dunk. Do it tomorrow. Well, maybe not. Maybe not this year with the way the Leafs have been in regulation. Let's <laughs> yeah. start next year. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, next up for Toronto, they are in Minnesota Wednesday. What a crowd they had! Eh, yeah. Saturday yeah. against uh, Montreal, over thirteen thousand. New attendance record for women's pro hockey. So that's been broken what twice in a week. <laughs> uh, and, and then uh, Toronto's back home Saturday to face Ottawa. So. Um, Looking good. Yeah, definitely an exciting start for the team. The uh, The first game was a bit of a stinker. The fact that, you know, a Toronto team got shut out in their first ever game was almost a bit too on the nose, but they uh, definitely bounced back with a strong showing against New York in the in the rematch there. Well, speaking of bouncing back, Nicholas, Uh-oh. <laughs> I do seem to recall that I said that the Buffalo Bills suck or something along those lines uh, at some point this season. Um, I've said it a ton of times this season. <laughs> They they've battled back. They made it in, and and they're one of the the hottest teams going going in, going into the playoffs. Now that, uh, that that finale wasn't exactly spotless, but how, how are you feeling about your boys right now? Uh, I, I just keep saying it. I feel like I, I've said it a hundred times over the last few weeks. Watching the Bills and, and the rest of the league, I guess the the way that they needed some help to to make this fall into place. Just win, baby. Like it definitely hasn't been pretty in many of those 11 wins this season. I think there's probably two or three that you could really feel good about as a fan uh, walking away from. But at the end of the day, they're the number two seed in the AFC uh, division champs for the fourth straight year. And I, I don't think that there's going to be too many teams out there that are eager to face them, even you know with their continued struggles holding onto the ball and things like that. Um, one thing I will say is I think you, you, everyone looks at the Bills and they see the, the high-powered offense, Josh Allen, Steph Diggs, you know, Kincaid had a really impressive year as a, a rookie tight end. Gabe Davis has had huge games in the past. James Cook kind of broke out as a, as a high-end running back this year. But with the injuries and stuff that they had on defense, losing, you know, Tredavious White, Matt Milano, Daquan Jones is out for so long. Just a, a lot of really important pieces on the defensive side. And they also didn't have a defensive coordinator, so to speak, this year. Like, Leslie Frazier walked away right before the season started. Head coach Sean McDermott took over, calling the plays defensively. And I just think that he, along with 
the players on defense deserve a ton of credit for getting the Bills to this point because it didn't seem to matter who was missing, who they had out there on the field. The defense came up huge several times this season. They were definitely the reason for a lot of those wins happening. And you know, I think that was the, the case again against Miami on Sunday night to, to clinch the division and the number two seed. So uh, tepid excitement heading into the playoffs, <laughs> I would say. As we established last week, it was a tough fantasy football season for me. Uh, <laughs> not much better on the degenerate gambling front either. But uh, one place I'm doing pretty well is on my futures bets. When I get a hunch and I see some good value, uh, you know, I, I've done all right. So right now I'm sitting on a uh, Lamar MVP future. I know you are too, Nick. Uh, no, I cashed mine out. <laughs> oh, right, right. Yeah, that's that one's done. <laughs> Fuck that $6. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> sitting on a, a Matthews Rocket Richard. And you'll be happy to know a 49ers versus Bills Super Bowl matchup. Let's go. Uh, yes. I also have a Super Bowl bet. I will not tell you on who. Uh, <laughs> Keith, uh, what what are we doing? But <laughs> It changes. You've been watching the Bears a lot more than me. I've watched, I think, every game this year. Uh, yeah, man. That I, is concerning behavior that I feel we should have you <laughs> committed for, but continue. You you watched the Tyson Bajant game? I did. I did. And I also remember all the idiots on Twitter who said that he's the guy moving forward after he completed three passes in a drive. But um <laughs> doesn't say much no, for I, Justin Fields. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like you you see you see flashes, right? And I guess maybe at this point you maybe want more than flashes on a third year quarterback, but it's, to me, it's so intrig- like enticing to trade down a couple of times with the number one pick again and just set yourself up for the next 10 years and still maybe get Marvin, Marvin Harrison Jr. Like if you go, if somebody, if there's two teams that need quarterbacks and then you can trade down to three, trade down twice and still end up with Marvin Harrison Jr. and pair him with DJ Moore. And, you know, still probably be able to get an, a, an edge rusher later with your own pick at nine or even trade that one down. Right. Like there's just so many options. That's like um, dream scenario. It's playing Madden. It's playing Madden. It's crazy. Uh, but again, you got to be you got it. You have to know and be 100 percent on Justin Fields. And I don't know how anybody could be 100 percent on him. Yeah. But I also you no. can't be 100 percent on Caleb Williams either. He's a no one he's an unknown commodity like every other pick and if you look at a lot of high draft picks quarterbacks lately it's not a slam dunk um, yeah so yeah i don't know it's it's intriguing and my opinion changes all the time but there's just something about the trade downs and accumulating of picks and look at how well they did with it doing it last year right and got themselves dj Moore, uh another second which turned into tyreek stevenson who was nfc player of the week last year and looks and like he's a cornerstone piece and then obviously first overall this year and and a second this year too so it's a lot you could you could you could turn that into a lot yeah what i'm getting out of this is that you guys just need to hire kevin costner to run the team <laughs> yeah yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be the biggest storyline of the offseason for sure in the in the nfl i yeah. think is what the hell they're gonna do again 
Yeah, again, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it is it is very intriguing. I like Fields a lot, which doesn't mean to say that I you know think that he should be the guy going forward. I kind of think that whether it's Fields or Williams or May, they're just not going to be able to develop a quarterback. So I'm, I'm kind of inclined to just trade down and build the best team you can around him because Fields, like you say, you know, he's shown some stuff. He's shown a hell of a lot more than any other Bears quarterback in the last ever. So It's just hard because if you, if you get rid of Getzey, the offensive coordinator, um, who was just awful this year, um, like oh, miserable. did not like there was, and it was weird because you'd see him every once in a while run plays that made sense for Justin Fields, and then he would just completely abandon it. But anyways, I, I I think most teams hate their offensive coordinator. So, but if you fire Getzey, that's Justin Fields' third offensive coordinator in four years, third playbook in four years. So that's yeah. the other thing too, because uh, it almost feels like if you're keeping Fields, you gotta you gotta give him some consistency. But something would have to change with the way that Getsy calls 150 wide receiver tunnel screams a game. <laughs> yeah, it. Uh, I'm in a very 2013 Leafs place with the Bears. <laughs> would yeah. be probably but, the best way to put that. You know what though? Like, if your team's not winning, that's like kind of the the fun spot to be. You'd rather be there than like just kind of floundering around like the mm-hmm. Tennessee Titans or something this year, right? You know, yeah. five or six wins, no real hope of the playoffs. You're not at the exact top of the draft order either. Like the Bears are not only high on the draft list themselves, but like to have the assets that they have from those deals that you're talking about, like that's a lot of fun to speculate on as a fan. So oh yeah, it, it, you guys are just making me want to go in and fire up Madden when we're done this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's let's leave it there, fellas. Um, the the large takeaway, of course, eight more years, eight more years of Willie Styles, eight more years. Gonna go buy myself, I think, the white uh, away Nylander jersey at some point soon. Love that. Yeah, anyone who was kind of on the fence about a Nylander jersey, uh, you, you can now's the time. <laughs> go, go ahead and make that purchase. <laughs> eight more years of barring in. Eight more years of curling off the wall and fucking ripping it eight more years of flow uh-huh it's uh it's good to be a leafs fan hopefully four or five more years at least we'll worry about the rest after that i guess that's the note we're gonna end it on <laughs> sorry to, to bring everything back down to earth here that's what we do <laughs> it's-